Welcome everybody to the podcast that is called Combo Sports Talk. This is the fifth episode of Combo Sports Talk. This show, Combo Sports Talk, is co-hosted by Sean Davison and Dustin Tran. The guy that is speaking right now is Dustin Tran. Before you do anything else though, please subscribe to this YouTube channel called Combo Sports Talk. There will also be the podcast version of Combo Sports Talk that will be released via Anchor. Anchor distributes the Combo Sports Talk podcast into many podcast apps, particularly Apple and Spotify. By the way, the YouTube channel Combo Sports Talk has hit over 50 subscribers, which means that we will open up a social media page specifically for Instagram and Twitter, as we promised you guys. We are already opened up our Instagram page. We're still working on the Twitter page. Our Instagram is at combo.sports.talk. And Twitter, we're still working on that, all right? So you guys got to give us some time. We'll send the links. Feel free to use that to follow us, ask us anything. You guys did a great job with helping us reach that goal. I'm proud of you guys. The show, Combo Sports Talk, focuses on debate, discussion, and comedy topics that are based around football and basketball mostly. You guys did a great job supporting us, so continue to go ahead and do that. It will help the show and the podcast grow even more. Sean, this has been a while since we've done this, but are you still hyped for the show that is called Combo Sports Talk? Yeah, man, I'm super excited. I mean, you said it right. People are supporting. We see it. We're putting out the Instagram account. We're working on the Twitter account. It's, it's going great. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. I absolutely agree with everything that you just said. All right, so we have a lot to get to today for episode five. The topics that will be discussed today will be the takeaways that we got from the NBA Finals. We're also going to be talking about Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. Then we're going to be coming up with a list for NBA coaching hires from worst to best. So we're doing a list of eight through one. And then we're going to be debating about whether the play-in tournament is good for the NBA or not. And we'll talk about the impacts of that. And then we'll be discussing about the potential of Cade Cunningham. Remember, be sure to catch us on all of the episodes that are there. And be sure to catch us on all clips. And make sure that you subscribe to us. Make sure that you follow us on our socials. If you guys do that, that helps the channel grow more, which is ultimately what we want here. All right, so let's get this opening topic started up. So what is this opening topic exactly about? It is about the Suns versus Bucks NBA Finals takeaway so with the 2021 nba finals wrapped up like i said the opening topic has to be about the bucks winning the series 4-2 as Giannis Antetokounmpo played sensational in what i believe to be the greatest closeout game ever Giannis Antetokounmpo dropped 50 points and scored almost half the points for the milwaukee bucks the bucks are now the 15 to come back from an 0-2 deficit in the nba finals the help for Giannis Antetokounmpo came. The free throw shooting of Giannis Antetokounmpo also got better. As for the Suns, they played well throughout the series. Give them some credit, but they were unable to close games when it mattered most. Now, we will tell our takeaways for both the Bucks and the Suns. We will tell you guys what we thought about the Bucks versus Suns NBA Finals. Before I say anything else, though, I have to go ahead and present you guys with a topic question. What were your takeaways from the Bucks winning the 2021 NBA Finals in six games. It was crazy. I mean, it was the first two games and everyone was panicking for the Bucks, saying they couldn't perform in the finals. Coach Bud couldn't do it. And it was just wild and all the talk was floating around and maybe it'd be a sweep, maybe it'd be in five. It was just insane. And then the Bucks turned it around. They came back, Giannis put the team on his back with the help from 
you know, Middleton, especially in those last few minutes in game six, he hit some really big shots. And, you know, Brooke, or not Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis played a giant role in game six. And, you know, all everything kind of came together for him and they played how they should usually play and they won the finals. Yep, I agree. It was simple as that. The Bucs were the better team. Guys started hitting their shots first two games. Nobody was hitting their shots. Giannis was performing poorly at the free throw line. Like you said, he was thinking about too much. Giannis just stopped really thinking about his free throws. He just started shooting free throws. He went 17 and 19 from the free throw line in game six. He was sensational. He dropped a 50 point shot, rather say 50 point nugget, if you get the joke from the Instagram live thing. 50 piece nugget, if you get what I'm saying. But, anyways, though, Giannis Kumo, he played absolutely sensational. That was a great finals performance that we saw. And this could be the outcome part for Giannis Kumo being the best player in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I think we a lot of people have, like, recency bias, and they'll say he's the best player in the league. And honestly, maybe he is. I'm still going to not give that to him quite yet. I need to see a little more and, you know, just, you know, carry over next season a little bit. But he's definitely in the discussion. And, I, you know, I'm excited for next year. And my question is, does Giannis carry this? insane game six this closeout game where he was dominant not only just from the floor offensively and defensively but with himself and his mind on the free throw line what he but hit he, 17 for 19 that, that was just insane but here's the thing though you say Giannis is not the best player who is in your opinion uh right now I think the best player in the league is Kevin Durant I think he you know he's three level scored can play defense but Kevin Durant's clutch. He can do it all. And, you know, I, I think Kevin Durant's the best player in the league. Yeah, I could see where you're coming from. KD's actually one of my favorite players in the NBA, but I'm going to disagree with you. I think Giannis is better than KD. Giannis outperformed Kevin Durant in Game 7 for the most part in overtime is what I'm trying to say. And look, Giannis was the one who took down the Nets team. And yes, I know that the Nets team was really injured, but he was the one that took them down. And plus, you also got to look at resume too. Giannis won his first ring the hard way. It was a really hard way. You got to give him tons of credit for that. Kevin Durant, on the other hand, yes, he won the two rings. And yes, I'll always be appreciative because yes, I'm a Warriors fan. But at the same time, you also have to look at Kevin Durant and say, oh man, he took the easy way out because he was supposed to win this title. Giannis Antetokounmpo was not supposed to win a title, but he did it. And plus, just because you have more rings than somebody doesn't necessarily mean that you're a better player, okay? So you have to look at the value of the rings. You, now, look, if the ring count is like so much different, as in multiple ring count difference, then yes, KD would be the better player. But when Giannis has one ring and it's really hard-earned versus KD's two rings, which, although I'm not trying to take it away, and I certainly don't want to, they were not as difficult as Giannis's rings because not all rings are created equal. You should know that. Yeah, I know that, but I'm also not going to taint anyone's championship rings, and I'm not going to, you know, give someone more credit than the next guy. Maybe it was harder earned, but, you know, rings are rings, hard to win. You know, it's the ultimate goal. I just think you, this Bucks team was just a perfect build and mold around Giannis. Everything was built for him. And you know what? He used that. He was amazing. And I got to give it to him. Uh, personally, Giannis is my fourth best player in the league. 
behind Kevin Durant, LeBron, and Steph Curry. And, you know, it's nothing against Giannis. That's not at all. Being a top five player in the NBA is incredible. But I just think those people in front of him are just a little more talented basketball players. And, you know, that's just who I'd prefer. Yeah, like I said, it's it's easier sometimes to prefer skill over, over athleticism. I'm that kind of guy. But when you got Giannis, I kind of compare it to football, where you got a power running back. He's just sledgehamming the ball. He's just trucking them linebackers. That's why I'm amazed with what Giannis Antetokounmpo was able to do. The fact that everybody knew that he was going to go to the rim. Everybody knew that. Like, you know what Giannis Antetokounmpo does well, and you know what he doesn't do well. And you still can't even stop. You can't even slow him down. And you know what? You can't even build a wall around Giannis Antetokounmpo anymore, like the Raptors did, like the Heat did. Because you know why? Middleton Holiday, they're going to make you pay for that. Because Middleton's gotten better. Holiday's an upgrade over Bledsoe. So when I look at it from that perspective, there's really no way to stop Giannis. If Giannis develops a 15-foot jumper, forget the three ball. If he develops a 15-foot jumper, I don't know how anybody would be able to stop him. I really don't. Yeah, and like, you know, it's not like the reason I don't have him as even the best is main. It's not even because of his jumper. I just think, you know, I've seen more dominant players. And, you know, I'm also projecting a little bit to next year, too. But Giannis, for sure, if he even, you know, if he expands his range a little bit, creates a consistent mid-range, which we saw how important that mid-range was this year. We thought it was dying off. Well, Chris Paul, he brought that right back. He took that narrative straight out. And if, you know, Giannis can, you know, get a little shimmy and hit up a mid-range, you know, that that'd be pretty deadly because everyone's starting to back up and play the paint. Yeah, for sure. And with Giannis' athleticism and his ability to Euro step really well, you know, 15 feet is basically as good as a three-point shot for Giannis under the Kumbu. Now, if Giannis, on the other hand, does get a three-point shot, look out, NBA. Look out, because this man's going to be one heck of a nature. All right. Now, I also want to note this about the Suns. I mean, look, the Suns, they just could not make the plays when it mattered most. I'm not going to say that they played bad in these NBA finals. They certainly did in games three through six. They Well, for game three, yeah, but for games four through six, they just really couldn't close. And, you know, don't fault the Suns for that. That's what happens when you don't have a big man that's reliable behind DeAndre Ayton. I mean, if Frank Kaminsky is your second best center on the roster, your team is not really that good in terms of being on a finals roster. All right. And Kaminsky, he actually played better than expected. But the reality is when you got a Frank Kaminsky, you're not really going to do much of anything. It's just what the truth is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Frank Kaminsky, he did have a good game six, but man, it just, that's not who you look for behind DeAndre Ayton. And it's not even like he can slide in there and kind of, you know, feel what any bit of DeAndre Ayton was. They're like completely opposite players. And so, you know, it's really tough. The Suns might need to make a slight move in the off season, you know, sign someone just, you know, it's back him up, you know, don't tell him he's going to be a starter or anything. Just, let him know you're going to be back up for a finals contending team and it'll be good. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see where the Suns go from here and what they do. I mean, Chris Paul's in trade talks and I feel like, like Chris Paul, he keeps having good seasons and the teams use that as like trade bait or something. Chris Paul is Chris Paul. He's going to be a leader for you. He's going to be low turnover, high production, all that type of stuff. So I'm interested to see what the Suns do. I hope they keep him. 
maybe they don't. But we'll see with that. Well, I want to make this clear. The Suns better keep Chris Paul, all right? If they get rid of Chris Paul, they're not a finals contender. Plain and simple. Look, you're the Phoenix Suns, all right? You didn't make the playoffs for 11 years, all right? You didn't make it for 11 years. You better find a way to keep Chris Paul. I don't care what price you do it, keep Chris Paul. You got to do it. And, yes, I love campaign. Campaign's a really good point guard. But you're not a finals contender if campaign's your starting point guard, all right? Plain and simple. You got to keep CP3. Besides, he makes business good for the Suns, too. Oh, yeah, I think it's a win-win, honestly. They give Chris Paul a shot at another finals, and then he gives them a shot at another finals. This is, you know, they're helping each other out. And, you know, if he gets traded, he gets traded. I'll follow him. I'm a huge Chris Paul supporter. I'm a big Giannis supporter, too. So I was cheering for the Suns a little more. But when the Bucks won, I was completely happy for Giannis. I was completely happy for the city of Milwaukee. And I'm happy Coach Bud got a ring. And, you know, it was good he got a ring because he gets hated on too much. Same here. I absolutely agree with that. And also, this is good for the city of Milwaukee because, yes, I know that Green Bay is not the same thing as Milwaukee, but they're basically around the area. They're going through a lot with the Aaron Rodgers saga. But that's for another day. So that's good that the Bucks won a title, at least for the city of Milwaukee. All right. That wraps it up. All right, so I hope that you guys enjoy our analysis on the NBA Finals because our next topic that we will talk about will involve college football, particularly Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, it is crazy to say the least, all right? Oklahoma and Texas were programs that were in the Big 12 Conference, but now they are moving over to the SEC. This is a power move, and it could have ripple effects across college football. Honestly, though, there are a lot of changes happening in college football, though. The playoff format, the teams in the conference, whatever you want to say, the landscape of college football is going to look drastically different moving forward. Traditionalists will not recognize college football anymore, at least their way. Anyways, though, we are bringing this topic up because it has ripple effects for all programs that are involved in these changes. With all of that being said, this now leads me to ask this topic question. What is your reaction to Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC? Wow. I mean, you wake up to the news and it's, oh, they're ready to make the jump. I mean, they're, you know, they're in full talks, ready to make the announcement kind of. And that's, I mean, think about how fun this will be. They're going to have to do some conference realignment, but I'm just going to throw this scenario in just how it is. You get on one side, Bama, Texas A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Auburn. And then the other side, you got Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas. And you just have those teams clashing out. And, and you know, they're – I mean, that's just going to be such a fun conference to watch. And I say this like I like it, but I just – I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. Um, now it's forcing all these big 12 teams, you know, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, they're talking to Pac-12. Iowa State's talking to the Big Ten, so it's Kansas. And no, you got to look at it from football side and basketball side. You have a blue blood in Kansas on the move. And a, you know, national championship Baylor talking to, you know, like a Pac 12 or, you know, just, I'm, I'm just not a fan. It was seemed kind of cold of Oklahoma and Texas to go behind, you know, the backs of their conference. And now the conference is trying to keep it, you know, all together. I think it'll create for some awesome games, 
I just don't like the way that this is headed because I think they're also talking to Ohio State, Clemson, you know, Michigan, big time teams. I kind of disagree with you. I mean, yes, I see where you're coming from, but I kind of disagree. I like it, at least from a fan perspective. Why? Because every year we try, or at least I do, and a couple of other fans, I trash on the Big 12. I've never been a big, big fan of Big 12 football. Never really liked it. Now they're going to be moving over to the other conferences. Now it's going to create better competition. I mean, look, Oklahoma and Texas. Now I'm hearing that Texas could potentially be on the SEC in terms of the West division. That means they're going to be going up against like teams like Bama, Auburn, LSU, stuff like that. And then Oklahoma, they could be in the SEC East. They could be with Florida and Georgia. That's going to make great competition for the SEC. You know what's also going to change? The college football playoff format. Because typically you rank them on whether they want their conference or not. And Oklahoma basically won the conference every single year. All right, plain and simple. Now it's going to look vastly different. And it's already going to look vastly different as well. Remember, they're, I believe they're on a 12-team playoff format now instead of four. So the landscape of college football is changing. I'm actually really excited for the changes. And I know that a lot of traditionalists are going to get mad at what I just said. But I kind of don't care. I really like it because... I think that it's going to be better for college football parity. I don't think that it's going to necessarily be perfect. Obviously, there'll be ripple effects in Big 12. But hey, I'm just going to talk about this from a scouting perspective. It's going to make life easier to scout these players. Yeah, I mean, as a fan, I'm very excited to see higher level college football games. I'm super excited. I don't get it from Oklahoma's and Texas's perspective. I mean, Oklahoma had a free ticket to a 12-team playoff every year. Now they're risking getting two or three losses in the SEC, and Texas, they might pick up like five losses. You know, they have to be Ole Miss, Auburn, Bama, LSU, Texas A&M, and then whoever they draw from the East. And like everyone in the SEC is good. Vanderbilt's not very good, but you know, everyone's always got surprises and they're ready, you know, to beat you. And I don't know if Texas is ready for that. I think Sarkeesian, I'm a, I gave that an A plus higher. I love Sark. But I don't think, as in the team state right now, they're ready to be playing SEC football. Maybe in a few years. I don't know when they're planning on joining. But Oklahoma, I'm fine with that. I mean, Oklahoma, they're they're always going to be high level. And you know what? Maybe they'll make, uh, you know, it'll get recruiting better. And, you know, it's good for both. You can see how it's good for both teams. But you can also see how it's bad. And maybe they can pick up a few extra losses. Well, I actually like that because now it creates better parity, like I said, college football. And also, look at this from Spencer Rattler's perspective. I actually think this is better for Spencer Rattler's career because if he stayed in the Big 12 won 12 games, there would be a lot of criticism on Spencer Rattler talking about, oh, he had weak competition. Oh, his conference doesn't play any defense. Now Spencer Rattler goes to the SEC, and if you believe that he balls out, which I believe he will, I know you're going to probably agree with me on that, then the doubts on Spencer Rattler will disappear and he'll be probably the consensus number one overall pick next year. So I think this is good for college football. Don't you want your best college football players to perform at their highest level? Well, yes, but also I don't think it happened this year. I think it happened like the following year. The contract expires in 2025, but I don't think it'll take that long. But yeah, I think this year Spencer Rattler, he's going to stay in the Big 12. All schedules are made. But, yeah, it's, it's good when you look at Caleb Williams, who's the number one quarterback in his class who just enrolled, and they just enrolled a 2023 player 
who's also a five star and or not enrolled, but they had a five star commit to them and he was the second best in his class. And you know, that they're just five star, five star, five star. And you know, and they're, you know, it's they're rolling out a quarterback factor. I think for them being on the map more, this is helpful to them. Yes. For Oklahoma, they needed to move to the SEC. They're, look, they're too good to play Big 12 fo- football. All right, it, it's that simple. Now, somebody like Texas, now that's certainly questionable. But I believe in Sark's ability to recruit. I believe in his ability to improve players over time in college football. I just got that belief in him. But I want to ask you a final question. I kind of want you to answer this quickly. Okay, so what do you think about the Big 12? Do you think it's going to dismantle and why or why not? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to go into four power conferences. That's my prediction. I think, you know, each team's take their way. And But I do want to bring up a point you said, you know, Oklahoma's too good for the Big 12, which I agree, but that's like saying Ohio State's too good for the Big 10. You know, Clemson's too good for the ACC. There's always going to be a top power in the conference. It'll create better games, but – Oklahoma and Texas are potentially losing out on millions in playoff money and all that type of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Like for them, I don't know why they decided to do it, but hey, I'm not going to complain. I just want to note this one final thing. By the way, your team, West Virginia, I'm hearing that they're moving to the ACC. We know Mr. Will Greer is pretty hyped up about that. Oh, I'm, I'd love for them to join the ACC. I think, you know, they'd play, you know, their closest opponent conference opponent was a thousand miles away in the big 12 i think they belong in the acc it would be good you know i think it'd just be more exciting football and you know the tradition they'll bring to the conference and all that type of stuff i think it'd be a good move for west virginia agreed it's as simple as that all right so that wraps up the topic that we were talking about with college football i hope you guys like the change up that we did this is not something we talk about often but we do talk about here and there. Hopefully, we'll be talking about that more often moving forward. So I want to move on now to the next topic, which will be about NBA coaching hires. All right, so like I said, that'll be the next topic. This topic was 100% Sean's idea. This is all him. This is him that really wanted to do it. So I got to give credit to him about that. All right, and I like this idea of this topic as well. Hopefully, you viewers feel the same way. This will be ranking... NBA coaching hires from worst to best. That means you go to eight to one. Okay. There were eight coaching hires made this year in the NBA. Sean and I will state the coach's name, where he came from, and the current team for where he's coaching at. And then you state a quick reason why. Try to avoid saying more than one sentence for why the move is good for time purposes. And we're going to talk about why that coaching hire is ranked at a specific spot. For each coaching hire, it'll be explained for 30 seconds. The goal here is to have Sean explain his list for four minutes, and it'll be myself explaining my list for four minutes. So let's get this list started up. Sean, you can definitely go ahead and start first with your list for the NBA coaching hires that were made. All right. Uh, I'm just going to say to start out, you know, numbers two through six for me were just like a toss. It was it was really tough. But I went off my best judgment. I think I'm also going to take winning into account, that type of stuff, and, you know, how excited I am. So, first off, I'm going to go with Nate McMillan for the Hawks. And he was – he's the interim coach, and they're just promoting him, which is a great idea because they just went to the, you know, 
conference finals. And so Nate McMillan, he's my one carried, not carried the team, but he completely turned around the team and made them into a high level playoff basketball team. Number two, Chauncey Billups. I know you're not as big as a fan. I love this hire. And I, I think Terry Stotts was honestly not, like he shouldn't have been fired. But I think Chauncey Billups, as far as just the hire and not the fire, I love Chauncey Billups coming in from the Clippers, uh, going to the Trailblazers, and I love what he can do for them. Um, number three, Ime Udoka for the Celtics. He was a 76ers assistant. Uh, you know, I like what the 76ers been able to do. I think he's been pretty good. I didn't even hear like his name before coaching searches came out, but then I did a little bit of research and I love this hire, um, you know, for the, for the Celtics. So I think the Celtics got a good coach and Ime Udoka. Uh, number four, I got Willie Green. He was the Suns assistant and I was headed to the Pelicans. I did not like the Stan Van Gundy hire, I'll say that. And they switch over to more of an assistant type, which I like. I prefer hiring high-level assistants over, you know, former head coaches. But Bully Green, I like that he came from the Suns, the Suns' successful team. The Pelicans really need this guy to work out, and I think he's a guy that can and will work out. Number five, Wes Unsell Jr. going to the Wizards, Denver assistant. 45 years old, he's young, NBA coach. Excited for him. Um, you know, his dad was obviously an MVP as a rookie in the league, which is crazy. But, you know, just him himself, he deserved this. I mean, he is a high-level assistant. He's ready to step into a head coaching role. I think he'll be good for Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, whoever's there. And it'll be good to watch him. Number six, Jamal Mosley, the Dallas assistant going to the Magic. Um, you know, I think it would be harder for him to win because they're in like a weird rebuild mode. But I do think, you know, I like this hire. And this is my sixth out of eight. And I still like this hire. So, you know, this will tell you how, how I feel about this coaching cycle. It's I think it's a pretty good one. Jamal Mosley, he'll bring go in. He's a bit of a veteran assistant, so he's smart. And, you know, Maybe I, I wish they would have brought in a little more fast-paced offense. I don't know if that's exactly what he's going to bring, but he'll he's a veteran leader. Number seven, Rick Carlisle for the Pacers, former Mavs head coach. I don't really like a head coach getting fired and rehired somewhere else unless I really liked him. Um, I usually aim for the assistants more, but I don't, I don't hate Rick Carlisle. I think he's good on the Mavericks. I just never was a you know big Rick Carlisle supporter. And I thought they had better options. I didn't really take time to look at them. And then last, and I guess least, is number eight, Jason Kidd, Lakers assistant to the Mavs. And I love this hire in the sense of they have Jason Kidd on the Mavs. And, but I just, I'm not a big fan of Jason Kidd as a head coach. I'm a, I love him as an assistant. I hope he works out because I love Jason Kidd. But we saw how it went the first time and it didn't go great. All right, so that's your list, and now I'm going a couple of my list. I feel like we're going to disagree quite a bit. I, I kind of disagreed a lot on your list. All right, so let's start off with the rankings. Obviously, number one will have to be Nate McMillan, Atlanta Hawks interim coach. He was hired by the Hawks. Obviously, he led a big season turnaround. 
The Hawks were 12th in the Eastern Conference when he was five, when he was hired. I mean, to be the interim coach. They ended up being the fifth seed and making a run to the conference finals, losing to the champion Milwaukee Bucks. That's really good for an interim coach. I don't think an interim coach has ever done a better job than that in that kind of situation. And then number two, I'm going to go with. I'm pretty sure I'm going to butcher his name, but I'm going to say, I. I mean, Udoka. I think that's how you say his name. All right, he's an assistant coach. He was hired by the Celtics. I think he was actually from the Nets. Now, I like this hire a lot because he's a player's coach, and his star players are going to get along with him, and he will get people to buy in on defense. He's just a great guy. I like him a lot. Then number three is Willie Green. He's a Suns assistant. He was hired by the Pelicans to be their head coach. Love this hire. His youth fits in well with the youth movement that the Pelicans are on. And the Pelicans needed somebody that they could, that the players could relate to. Stan Van Gundy was definitely not that. Nalvin Gentry was not that either. Willie Green will get people to play hard. If this Pelicans young core does not play hard for Willie Green, I don't know what head coach they'll play hard for. Willie Green is one of the most intensified assistant coaches out there. I like this hire a lot. This could have easily been number two for me, but I just didn't like it more than I made Udoka. All right, and number four, and I know this is going to be a little bit controversial. I'm going to actually pick Jason Kidd, Lakers assistant, and he was hired by the Dallas Mavericks. I actually like this hire because he has hires. He has connections with the Dallas Mavericks. He and Luka are similar in terms of how the basketball IQ works. And yes, I know that Jason Kidd was a failure. The first two coaching stops where he was at, but I think this one's going to be a little bit different. He's picked up a little more experience. And plus, Luka could actually help him out a lot. And who's to say that he can't bring in new ideas and help out Chris Tapps Porzingis? And Porzingis hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been as good as what people, particularly I, thought that he would be. Number five, I'm also going to disagree with you. I'm going to pick Rick Carlisle, you know, former Mavericks coach, hired by the Pacers. Why do I say that? Because he brings an experience. Yes, I know that they could have hired another assistant, but they just did that last year. That's why they fired McMillan. And that didn't necessarily work out. They needed an experienced coach. They needed a guy that was smarter in terms of game, in-game strategy. Rick Carlisle brings that. And plus, he also brings stability to the Pacers. The Pacers needed that. So this is actually a decent hire for them. I'm not saying that I would have hired Rick Carlisle if I was their general manager. I would have hired Terry Stotts personally. But anyways, Rick Carlisle, solid hire for the Pacers. Then number six was Wes Unsell Jr., Nuggets assistant. He was hired by the Wizards. I actually like this, but I couldn't really put it higher than six. I just had a hard time putting it higher than six. He's a good in-game tactician, and he has a good reputation for player development. It's as simple as that. The Wizards needed that. Then number seven, I'm going with Jamal Mosley, Mavericks assistant. He was hired by the Magic. Now, look, the Magic, they need an offensive mind, and he is just not a proven coach yet. And yes, I know Luka liked this guy a lot, but they don't have a Luka Doncic on the roster. This guy, he might be okay, but he wasn't really that much of an inspiring hire. I mean, sure, he's better than Steve Clifford in terms of player development, but what else does he really provide? Event number eight, Chauncey Billups. Clippers assistants hired by the Trailblazers. Did not like this hire. Because now, what happens? Dame wants out now, and with Chauncey Bellis around with the off-the-court stuff, it has created bad PR for the Trailblazers, and the Trailblazers have quite frankly become quite a joke these last few weeks, shall I rather say. So that's the list that I conducted with, and you just heard Sean's list conducted up. So we had quite a different list. Yeah, I mean, we... Honestly, it was pretty close, one through three. And, you know, mine was McMillan, Billups, Udoka, and then I had Green fourth. You had McMillan, Udoka, then Green. So 
I think we both like the same top guys other than Billups. My second was Billups, and you do not like Billups at all. I love what Billups was able to do for the Clippers, though, and I think you can't just take his success and just throw it out because Dame wants out. And that's more Dame mad at the organization more than Dame mad at the hire, I think. And so I, I'm just grading the coaching hires. I'm not grading what happened since they've, you know, because of their hire. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, have... I love Yudoka. I love Willie Green, and we know about McMillan. Uh, Jason Kidd, you had him higher at four than I did at eight, and it's more of me. I want him to be good. I want him to be, you know, fourth or better, higher. But I'm hoping he can be. Maybe he does. I don't know. Uh, any other big ones we disagreed on? I do not. Carlisle. So. Oh yeah, Carlisle. You had him at five. I had him at seven, five, seven, not big disagreement. I just don't love the head coach hires that just got fired, but I definitely see where you're coming from. I just don't think they looked at the coaching carousel that much and looked into other people. They just kind of looked at him and hired him right away. Yeah, they lost the process. They should have taken another look is what I'm trying to say. All right, so that conducts our list with the coaching hires. All right, so let's move on to the next topic. We're still sticking with the NBA. We are going to be talking about the play-in tournament. All right, so the play-in tournament has been installed for the 2021 through 22 season for the NBA. It has existed in the NBA for the past two seasons, and that will continue. There were players complaining about the play-in tournament, but the NBA does gain business by putting in this type of tournament. There are a good amount of basketball fans that would love to see a play-in tournament. Either way, though, the play-in tournament has both its pros and cons. The play-in tournament could soon become the biggest question mark around the NBA. It really depends on if the NBA wants to listen to the players or to the fans. With all of that being said, this now leads me to ask this top question. What is your reaction to the NBA doing the play-in tournament again for the 2021-22 through 22 season? I love it. I mean, I'm a big fan of it. I think you see teams who catch fire late even, and they, you know, they just miss on playoffs usually. Well, guess what? Now you get more playoff games, more on more in the line because you have to win if you want to get in. And, you know, I personally, I just love to play in tournament, more playoff basketball, more basketball to watch, more exciting. You know, I don't see a downside to it really other than maybe like the seven seed eventually getting out one year when maybe they deserve to be in. But overall, I think the best teams will get in, and that's what I want to happen. And also it creates more fire for like, you know, a nine seed if they win back-to-back or something, and maybe they beat a two seed or something. Like they have momentum going into it. Yeah, I I actually love the playing tournament. I love it. It's really good especially for young teams that are looking to gain playoff experience while still maybe participating in the lottery. That, to me, is more important than any tanking or just trying to jockey for draft position. And this is obviously reflecting in the Olympics. You can see that our players do not have the will to win. This will teach the young players the will to win. Yes, we have a lot of talented players in the United States, don't get me wrong, but but mentally-wise, we are behind in other countries. It's that simple. Anyways, though, finished with my Olympic rant. I love the playing tournament. It's going to create runs at the end of the season that teams that had no business game. Just look at the Washington Wizards last year. They were 13th in the Eastern Conference at the beginning of April. They hustled all the way to the eighth seed. That, do you know how that impressive that is? If the playing tournament didn't exist, 
they would have probably found a way to shut down Russell Westbrook. They probably would have found a way to shut down Bradley Beal and other players on the Wizards. I love this move as well. And plus, it creates good for the end of season drama. Now, granted, that wasn't good for me personally because my teams, the Hornets and Warriors, we both we both got in the play-in game and did not win in those play-in games. So, I, I mean, if I was being biased, I would say I didn't like it. But I'm trying to be objective here. So, yeah, it's good for the NBA, and it's going to create a lot of end-of-season drama. You know how many times you and I, at the end of the season, were just sick of the NBA, like, at the end of the season? Because it's like, man, the teams that suck are just going to keep losing, and the teams that are just good, they're just going to keep winning naturally because they're just the better team. It's like, what's the what's the point of even trying? Now, if you have to play in tournament, no more of that. No more of that. Yeah, for sure. You get games to keep up with. You know, you – you know, now you're more interested in like a 10 versus an 11 seed in the regular season. And you're like, oh, well, the winner, you know, they are the 10th seed in the East, which before would mean absolutely nothing. Well, now it means, hey, if you're the 10 seed, you have a shot at the playoffs. So those games down the stretch that normally wouldn't matter are all of a sudden more meaningful and you're more excited to watch basketball. I think it's great for the NBA. Yeah, it actually keeps your mind through because sometimes it's like, man, like, yeah, we like the NBA a lot, but it's like, man, can, can we just get the playoffs started up? Because if they're not, if the players are not even caring about the games, why should the fans care about it? But I want to talk about this from a different perspective. I want to bring this up. So with the playing tournament, this also incentivizes teams. And I haven't really heard this talk to get the number one and number two seeds. Why do I say that? Because that means if you have the number one, number two seed, you're going to have in that advantage, you're going to have an advantage with rest. You're going to get a week off because seven, eight, nine, and ten are going to be battling for those two spots. So one and two are going to get a week off, which those other teams don't get a benefit of. And three through three, four, five, and six, yes, they'll get a week off, but it's all even, so it's not really an advantage. So this could create a rest advantage, which means regular season games might matter a little bit more, so you can get the rest before the playoffs starts. That way, somebody like a Kawhi Leonard won't low manage his way. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. You know, resting, you'll have to be a little more strategic with it. And, you know, even if, like, one team rests, like, you know, like, say the Lakers are the one seed next year and they rest players and they get beat by, you know, a 9 or 10 seed, and that kind of locks in their playoff spot. That could cause some drama with other teams and, oh, if the Lakers didn't rest and whatever – but if that team goes in and makes the playoffs, then, you know, maybe you get another Lakers matchup and you kind of see how it plays out too. Yes, and even though I just pointed out about those advantages, I'm actually going to flip the other side of the coin and say it could cause a disadvantage because if you get too much rest, you're going to be rusty and you're not going to necessarily be ready for the playoffs compared to a team that's – let's say if you're like the 11th seed in the, in the Western Conference or something like that. And you got like two weeks left to go, and then you go on a massive winning streak to end the season, and then you end up getting like the eight or seven seed, and you go up against the Los Angeles Lakers or an elite team or something like that. That could because because they're going to have more chemistry than somebody like the Lakers, you know, or whoever has the higher seed because they're going to be dealing with rest, and that could cause them some upset upsets. That's what I'm trying to say. Who would who wouldn't want to see some upsets happen in the playoffs? Look, we've seen why the NFL, the way that their ratings work. The reason why their ratings work is because all the games matter and that anything can happen in these playoffs. By doing the play-in tournament, it's going to cause higher seed teams to potentially lose down the road. Now, if they play it right, then it will cause a major advantage for them. 
either way though it's going to incentivize everybody to play harder and it's going to incentivize teams to have the will to want to win and it'll teach them that whether young middle or old age players in the nba plain and simple it's also going to make coaching matter a little bit more too coaches are going to have to be smarter yeah i mean if you are like a seven seed what i don't like is that if you're a seven seed you can completely fall out but also i kind of like that so i don't but you could be a seven seed and then lose both games and then all of a sudden your coach is fired and said if he won one game he would still be a head coach so head coaches these games matter to them a lot too yeah but it also sets up better in-game strategies you know coaching is going to matter a little bit more now than it did before which is good for the league that's what the average nba fan wants to see they don't give a i mean yeah they they respect these superstar players yes they like them they appreciate them but coaching matters coaching matters it matters in all sports and the fans they want to see the nba reflect that you know the last few last several years that hasn't really been the case yeah for sure i mean yeah this strategy that's going to go into it and all that it's going to be crazy and uh you know like you could see like one year where and you kind of touched on this maybe you could see like a pelicans next year or something like get the 10 seed but they win both playoff games and they lock in the eighth seed and maybe there's an injury to the one seed or something and you know what the pelicans caught fire at the right time and maybe you see an upset. I don't know how many upsets these will actually relate or go into between a seven and a the seven seed and the two seed and the one seed or the eight seed. I don't know how many, but it would just might create more closer series even between those teams. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with what you just said. And I don't think the upsets are going to happen necessarily right away, but I'm talking about down the road, like five, ten years. Though that's when the upsets are really going to really feel it because that's when the new generation comes in and then that's when they'll start knowing better than the previous generation did. It's that simple. All right, so that basically wraps up our opinions about the NBA playoff play-in tournament. So we both like it a lot. All right, so let's move on to our last topic of this episode, which will be about Cade Cunningham. All right, so we're going to be doing player comps for Cade Cunningham. We're going to be talking about his draft stock. We're going to talk about what we think about him. So, Kay Cunningham has been known to be a collegiate superstar. That is not debatable. He has seemed to be the consensus number one overall pick in all mock drafts. The Pistons are up on the clock first since they have the number one overall pick. In this topic, Sean and I will make player comparisons for Kay Cunningham and what type of impact he would have in the NBA. Will he become a superstar? What player reminds you of Kay Cunningham? Those type of questions. We will also evaluate his skill set and how he will impact the NBA in the long term. With all of that being said, this now leads me to ask this topic question. Where will Cade Cunningham go in the 2021 NBA draft? Which NBA player is similar to Cade Cunningham? Um, so I think he lands number one overall going to the Pistons. I don't think the Pistons turned back. I know the Rockets are really pushing the swap with them. Um, I don't think it'll happen. I think the Pistons are keeping it and they're getting a stud in Cade Cunningham like an absolute menace anywhere you want him. You can ask him to do anything on the court and he can do it. And you know who that reminds me of? Reminds me of a lot like Luka Doncic. That's my player comparison. I see that thrown out a lot. And honestly, I just don't see a better one. I mean, you're a big point guard. Maybe you could play shooting guard, but I think they're both kind of like that big point guard role, main primary ball handler. Can 
score from any spot on the floor, bigger than everyone else, better shot making than everyone else. And, you know, it's just like, how do you guard that? You can't because they're just insanely good shot makers. And then on the defensive side, Cade Cunningham, he can play defense. He's got the length. He got all the tools. He's got the athleticism. Cade Cunningham is that dude, and he's going to leave a long-term impact on the NBA. He's going to be a high-level guard, one of the, you know, a top 10 player in the league within this first four or five years, I'd say. Yeah, and I see where you come from with the Luka Doncic comparison, but I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback, all right? And yes, I do somewhat agree with it, but Kate Cunningham, I think he has a little bit more athleticism than what you're selling him on. He's got more athleticism than somebody like a Luka Doncic. And trust me, I love Luka. I love him, but he's not that athletic compared to a Kate Cunningham. So I'm going to give out his draft prediction. I'm going to talk about his player comparison. So I got Kate Cunningham going number one overall. He's a, he's a point guard, whatever position you want to call him, except center. And he's going to go to the Detroit Pistons. There will be no trade that happens. If the Pistons trade the number one overall pick, they would be fools. That's like saying, if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2003, you would trade the number one overall pick so you wouldn't have the rights to draft LeBron James. You know how much of a fool you would sound? Yeah, this is kind of like that. All right, so my ceiling for him, I'm going to say Larry Bird. And I'm going to say Larry Bird because... Kate Cunningham's a good shooter, and he can just shoot the ball, man. And he just can do a lot of things on the floor well. Most realistic, I'm going to go with Jason Tatum. You know, good versatility, can knock down shots, can play ice on ball really well, can distribute. Just a good all-around player. He doesn't have any weaknesses. And I'm going to go with floor. And I'm going to ask you this after I finish this up. So my floor for him is Danny Granger, which means that he'll just be a scorer, just be a good shooter. But he might not necessarily flash out. So that's basically worst case where I've seen Kate Cunningham. What's your worst case scenario for Kate Cunningham? Um, that's a good one. Worst case, I'd probably have to say, hmm, I like, I honestly like the Danny Granger. I, and Danny Granger was an all-star. I mean, he was a good basketball player. And I think his floor is an all-star. I think that's his floor. I don't think he, unless some insanely horrific injuries or, you know, that type of stuff happens. I think his floor is being an NBA all-star. I think his ceiling is being a top 10 player all the time, maybe. I don't think he hits that, but ceiling, you know, his ceiling's crazy. But I do got to say something. You're hating on the Luka comparison for the athleticism, but you told him Larry Bird for, you know. So, but yes, I, I did love the Jason Tatum one, though. I think they're both equally athletic, and I didn't give him enough credit. He is an athletic freak. Yeah, for sure. Kate Cunningham. And also, I've heard some people compare him to Ben Simmons. I could see where they're coming from, but I kind of don't really agree with it because Kate Cunningham is a much better shooter already than when Ben Simmons entered the NBA. And he's a lot smarter of a basketball player than Ben Simmons. All right, so what I see Kate Cunningham in, career, in his career will do this. I see him becoming a multiple-time All-Star player. He will turn around the Pistons franchise. He will make them a playoff contender in the Eastern Conference for years, especially with Coach Dwayne Casey. He's he's actually a pretty good coach. I think that the Pistons are going to be back in the NBA play, playoffs sooner rather than later. And also, you got to remember this about Kate Cunningham. He has a natural feel for a score, and he just can shoot the ball so efficiently. Now, I do have one concern for Kate Cunningham, though, and you might give me a little bit of pushback. He might not have the it factor. You know, somebody like a LeBron James, it factor. Somebody like a Luka Doncic, it factor. Somebody like a Steph Curry, in my opinion, it factor. Kate Cunningham, 
you know, good guy, but I, I like him a lot. But he might not have the it factor. He might fall into the Anthony Davis type of tier where he where Davis doesn't have the it factor. But Davis is a really, really good player. But I'm just pointing that out about Kate Cunningham. There is some concern about him. And I sound like I'm being nitpicky, but I got to list out concern for somebody because nobody's perfect. I do have breaking news after I say this, but I'm going to say what I want to say first. He has the it factor. You watch him in college. You watch him against Baylor. You watch him against all those teams. He played Texas uh, te- uh, Texas Tech. He played very good teams in college, and he has the it factor. He can put a team on his back, which is what he did. He took that team to the four or five seed. I think it was a five seed. And, you know, he did lose in the first round to an Oregon State team who caught complete fire, and it was just unfortunate for him. But – he has the factor. I have no concerns about that. Now, the breaking news, Texas and Oklahoma are officially leaving the Big 12, but they're not going to – they're applying for an SEC membership after the 2025 – for after the 2025 season. So we have some time until that kicks in. Everyone has time to figure out what they want to do. But it is official. They are leaving the Big 12. And they pretty much are going to SEC, but it'll be a, it'll take a while. Yeah, and we'll discuss more of that possibly on social media, or even if we devote another topic to that. But yes, that we found that quite interesting. But I think we both assumed that it was going to be official before it officially became official. Anyways, though, let's talk, let's talk some more about Kate Cunningham. Let's just try to wrap this up. All right, the reason why I say he didn't necessarily have the it factors because he doesn't have the feel of somebody like a LeBron James who could just take over an entire. NBA, or even somebody on like a Giannis level. He's going to be a really, really, really good player, even a great player at times. I just don't know if he'll take the Pistons to like a conference finals and the finals, because that's what I meant by like an it factor. He'll take some teams to the second round, but I don't know if he could do that as the lead guy. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, I see what Luka did for the Mavericks. I see what he can do for the Pistons. I mean, Luka has some help around him. But Luka is pretty much carrying this team to, you know, high-level team in the West that you can't, like, that you always have to worry about. That's Cade Cunningham. You can't let down against Cade Cunningham because he'll make you pay. That's what I'm saying. I say he does have the it factor. I think we just define well, define the it factor just differently. If we, I mean, if we define it by your way of it factor, then sure. But I know for me, the it factor is a lot more selective. I only have like a few players that have the it factor, really. But anyways, my point is that Cade Cunningham, he might have it, he might not. It's still kind of unanswered for me. I think he will eventually get the it factor. But to say that he has it right now is far from a guarantee. But yeah, Cade Cunningham, really good player. He should be the number one overall pick. No questions asked. The Pistons should not trade that pick for any reason whatsoever. All right, so you say Luka Doncic is his player comparison. I'm just going to roll with Jason Tatum as my player comparison for him. We both agree that he's going number one overall. So the Pistons, that no trade will happen. It's really that simple. Yeah, I mean, it's – I think we didn't really disagree on much, just the it factor thing. And I agree with you, only a few players have it. But I think when you're drafting this guy who's, you know, a talent you don't get very often – I think he has it. I've watched him a lot. But, yes, we did. We seem to agree pretty much for the most part. We think he'll be a terror in the league. We think he's going to be awesome. And we think the Pistons have to take him. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
All right, so that wraps up the Kay Cunningham topic. I hope you guys kind of like the breaking news that we put in the middle of it because it kind of shows, you know, how much this show, podcast, whatever you want to call it, has grown to where we could announce breaking news during the middle of an episode. So I just find that interesting that that happened. All right, so to wrap this up, I want to say this. So thank you for watching episode five of Combo Sports Talk. I really hope that you guys enjoyed the topics since they were spread out well. Let us know down in the comment section below on what you guys thought about the podcast that was done. Remember to go follow our Instagram account that we created. We're still working on the Twitter account. Our Instagram is at combo.sports.talk. So make sure to follow that account. Also be sure to remember that a Twitter account will be coming along shortly as well. So keep that in mind. All right. So also free, feel free to ask us questions whenever, whether in the comments section, whether on Instagram, and whenever we get our Twitter account, we will answer them. Next episode, we plan to cover the NBA draft and what we believe will happen. It will definitely be the main focus of Combo Sports Talk for the next episode. Sean, anything else you got to say to the viewers that are watching this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we focus heavy basketball. We have to. We might have a little bit of a special thing coming up next episode. I'll leak it a little bit. Maybe a mock draft, but we're still talking about it. Maybe not. But I do want to say we talked a lot about the, you know, the conference realignment stuff. I do, you know, as we find out more about Kansas and West Virginia and that stuff, I do want to talk about how it, I think we will talk about how it impacts basketball. West Virginia, really good basketball team that just adds to the ACC. Kansas, Big Ten, adds to Big Ten. So eventually we will give a deep dive into basketball, I feel like. And, you know, guess what? More basketball here. But basketball is what's hot right now. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, we're just going to keep pumping it out. Thank you guys for the support. Yeah, I really appreciate that you guys doing this. That means that you guys really love the content that we put so again, thanks for watching this podcast. This has been a great show to produce. I hope you guys feel the same way about that. Like I said, we will be back here later this week to preview the NBA draft as well as other breaking news potentially. As always, there will always be new topics to present to you guys. I have nothing else to say now. Peace out.